Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you, everyone. Uh, hey, um, I wanted to, to give a shout out this morning to our prayer team and Krista, who leads it. I was uh, got some coffee with her this week, and I, I'm just so thankful uh, for those of you who have have kind of said, "This is my ministry. This is what I'm going to do." And you know, it's uh, prayer is one of those things like many many spiritual gifts God gives us, right? Where uh, there's things that all of us are called to do. Prayer is one of those, or you know, evangelism is one of those, or giving is one of those. But certain people are gifted to make that their particular ministry. And I'm just so thankful for the folks who have made the ministry of prayer their ministry here. So thank you guys for calling down the Spirit's power on us, everything we do. Thank you so much for giving that. Oh, man. And hey, um, as we worship this morning, so, uh, so I'm going to give a, a teaching here, an intro to the series we're getting into. But uh, at the end of service, we're going to make a little space to love on Doug as well. So this is good times, I tell you. Have a little space for you to give some words if you want to. Uh, we're going to eat some cake together in his honor. And... Praise be to the Lord that Doug's favorite cake is Dobosh cake. So it'll be a chocolate pudding experience. It's going to be terrific. Um, but yeah, just stoked on that. And if, if you aren't up to speed on this, so, uh, so thankfully we're not saying goodbye to Doug or his family. They're, they're still here, but it's a significant change in role. Uh, Doug has taken a full-time position as hospital chaplain at Torrance Memorial, which is so, so good. Not as good as that means he stepped down as our associate pastor. So we'll, we'll take the occasion not to say goodbye, but just to say thank you. So that's coming this morning too. So, um, hey, as we get into, get into the teaching this morning, into the series. So uh, our mission priority for 2024, we, we have just one focus that we want to put in front of the church as we go into this year. And that is outreach to our friends, our family, our neighbors, our community. Uh, our focus is to be a body of people who embody and speak the grace of God that brings salvation, healing, and justice to this world that God loves so much. That's the focus. That's what we want to apply ourselves to in prayer, in word, in deed this year. Um, this past year, so much fun. We got to baptize five folks here this last year. It was so awesome. Uh, this year, 2024, we're, we're praying that we'll baptize 10. And I, I want to invite you to be praying that and seeing how God might use you in that process too. So uh, today as we, we kick this off, uh, I want to zoom in on a common word that Jesus uses when he talks about our outreach. It's the word witness. The word is witness. In sharing our faith, this is one of the key terms that Jesus uses and the New Testament church uses as to what our role is, what it looks like for us to share our faith with those around us. And I, I think it's a word that's especially applicable in our cultural setting. So uh, there's a, a well-known author named Becky Pippert who writes about these things. She says this, she says, Christians and non-Christians have something in common. We're all uptight about evangelism. <laughs> it's true, is it not? Um, I, but I, I find this term gives us a helpful frame to begin to think about this, of what does it look like to bear witness to Jesus in the 21st century. Uh, and I, I say this because, I, speaking of that unease, 
I find that most Christians, the average Christian, uh, when it comes to the topic of evangelism, they might feel nervous about offending, right? They, they might feel awkward about, like, somebody has a belief system. Is this weird if I'm suggesting another belief system to them, etc., etc.? But in spite of all that, in their heart of hearts, most followers of Christ really long for those around them to come to know Christ in a saving way, too. And similarly, I find actually that, that most non-Christians, at least most of those in, in my life and maybe in yours, uh, though they certainly don't want to be harangued or beaten over the head with your ginormous Bible, uh, I'm always surprised how many are genuinely curious. There's questions there, and they, they want to be able to explore these. And in fact, I, I know for some, they find it really weird when they are friends with somebody who's a Christian, and this is supposedly the most important, the most defining relationship in your life, yet it's the one thing that you never talk about. There's weirdness in that. And and so I I think that this term witness actually kind of helps us kind of have some handles on this, on maybe where to start. It gives some breathing room, both for those who are believers and those who are not. Uh, Think about this. Somebody who's a witness, Right? They don't have to argue or convince. Uh, they don't have to become a preacher or some kind of an apologist. Uh, though if that's your calling, you know, that's terrific. Lean into that. You, you don't have to have the answer to every question. And right? as a witness, your only job is to testify to what you know. It's to be able to share what you've seen, what you've heard. So there's some space in there for us, I believe, and a spirit of gentleness and respect to be able to share our faith in a way that makes sense, even in our uh, Western 21st century context. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, We want to hear a bit about what Jesus says about being a witness to him and consider how we might make this a more normal and natural practice in our lives. So let's pray and look at our text together. Heavenly Father, uh, we confess that this part of our faith can be an aspect that's really difficult, uh, a place where we shy away, a place where we're eager to leave it to others and not to embrace it ourselves. Uh, but God, we, we want to be about your work in the world. We want to be part of the good and the beauty that you are bringing into this world that you love. So God, would you teach us in normal and natural ways, how to bear witness to you, how to share what you've shared with us, how to share your love with those around us and to embody it well. We need you for this. We pray that you meet us this morning as we worship and as we seek you in this way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. It's Jesus speaking. He says, But I will send you the Advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you also must testify or be a witness about me because you have been with me. Now in the New Testament, uh, there's several metaphors, uh, four or five, but just a, a couple more common, several metaphors that are connected to evangelism. Uh, The first of that is that of a steward. 
right? And a steward is somebody who would manage a household in the ancient world. And think of kind of a larger household with maybe a larger family, extended family living there. Maybe there's servants and employees that are part of the household too. And the steward's job was to connect uh, uh, and to care for those in the house, to care for and feed them. Right? And this metaphor is sometimes used for evangelism. And this is one that we might connect especially with the role of pastor. Right? That, that role of stewardship, of care and feeding. Right? Another metaphor that's used in the New Testament is that of the herald. This is the one who proclaims. And the proclaimer, this was a, a role in ancient society. It was the king's representative would ride into town and they would, would get everybody's attention and you, you unroll the scroll with the king's words on it and you declare whatever the announcement of the day is that the king wants people to hear. An ancient public service announcement, if you will. Twitter, before Twitter was cool, this is how you did it, right? And this, this proclamation, this is a metaphor used for evangelism too. And maybe this kind of fits with what we have in mind when we think of a preacher, right? This is what a preacher does. They stand up in front of other people and they proclaim something on behalf of the king. But then we have the metaphor that Jesus uses here a witness, or one who testifies. And this is a courtroom metaphor. The idea behind this one is that Jesus is on trial. But this time it's not in front of Pilate or in front of Herod. He is on trial before the, the bar of world opinion. And others are deciding what they are going to think about Jesus, what they are going to do with Jesus. And into this metaphor, the spirit comes as the advocate. Right? The spirit of truth is called here the advocate. The spirit is the defense attorney who makes his case for Jesus. And then, in the same metaphor, we have the, the people. We have Christ's followers, and they are called as witnesses. They are called to add their voice to what the spirit says about who Jesus is. And the reason I love this metaphor is you don't need a special role within the church to have this, right? You don't need to be a pastor, a preacher, a theologian, an apologist. All you need to do is to know Jesus and to talk about knowing Jesus. It's the most applicable of the metaphors for sort of everyday followers of Christ. And one that I think is, as we embrace this, it gives us a place to start. It gives us some handles to think about what is my role in the work that God is doing in the world. So, um, so for me, as, as a pastor, I've testified in court a number of times, usually as a character witness, is where I get called upon to come and speak about, you know, a person who's on trial civilly or criminally and to say, yes, I know this person and this is what this person is about. Um, it's always nerve-wracking. It's always a very stressful situation being sworn in and then you're, you know, you're doing your thing. But uh, the first time I testified, by far the most stressful, it was before I was a pastor and it wasn't a character deal. It was uh, as a witness in a criminal trial. So I witnessed, when I was in college, I witnessed an armed robbery and carjacking. And it was super gnarly. I was, uh, I was a pizza delivery guy, right? And, a respectable college job, yes. I'm, I'm out there doing my thing, delivering the pizza, which when, when you think about it, especially back then, this is before electronic payment and stuff, I mean, 
this is fraught with danger. I'm driving all over the city by myself with a bag full of money and somebody's dinner, right? I am such a target. And anyway, I get out of my car and I've got a couple of pizzas and I've got a bag full of money and, and these two guys jump out. And for whatever reason, they don't go to me, they go to the guy at the car in front of me. He's getting out of his car with bags full of groceries. So this makes no sense. He's just spent all of his money. I'm carrying around a bag of other people's money, right? But for whatever reason, they go to this guy and, uh, and they pull out a gun and they put it in the guy's face and I'm seeing this and I, I like ducked down behind my car. It was terrifying. I thought they were gonna shoot the guy. Anyway, they rob him, they take his wallet, they take his stuff, they take his car and they go. And uh, I, I went up to the guy and was like, hey, you know, how can I help? And I, I went with him into his apartment and we called the police together and you know, it was, it was this thing. Now, several months later, the trial happened, right? They arrested the, the two folks that night. They caught him right away. Uh, trial is happening. The guy who got robbed, he was actually just so freaked out by the whole experience. He dropped out of school and he moved back up to Northern California. So day of the trial, I'm, I'm the only witness. And it was, and this was really scary too, because all of the guys like, like tattooy gang buddies are in the back of the courtroom, just like glaring at me. And I'm like, please don't ask me any questions that reveal who I am or where I live or anything like that. But, um, but going into this, so I'm, I'm feeling a little nervous, as you can maybe imagine. And, um, and I, I was actually especially nervous, though, about the defense attorney. Having watched my fair share of law and order, I know that you know, cross-examination, attorneys can be really good at tripping you up and getting you to say the wrong thing. And I was like, man, am I going to screw this thing up? And so the, the prosecutor gave me a little pep talk before it was, was go time. And he says, listen, don't overcomplicate this. He says, you've got one job today, and that's just to tell the truth. What did you see? What did you hear? Just tell the truth. And he said, yeah, the, the other attorney, he's going to try to rattle you. He's going to try to get under your skin. He's going to try to trip you up. Don't worry about it. You've got one job. Just tell what you saw. Tell what you heard. That's it. Now, when, um, when it was the other attorney's turn, he actually did try to trip me up too, as predicted. And, you know, he's like, well, how do you know this is the person? And I was like, well, I don't know, no, but we're under a street light. And I was pretty close. And that really looks like the person. <laughs> he's like, okay, next question. How do you know, how do you know this was the gun? It's like, well, I don't, no, no, this is the gun, but it was a large black handgun that looked just like the large black handgun that you're holding. I think it was the gun. It's like, oh, next question. <laughs> and, you know, on it goes like this. But, but here's the thing. Uh, I, I didn't need to know about DNA evidence. I didn't need to know about fingerprints. I didn't need to know if when they were arrested, if the suspects were read their Miranda rights. I didn't need to know any of that. All I needed to know is what I saw and what I heard. That's the only thing that I had to testify to. That's the only area where I needed to be a witness. This reminds me of, there's a story earlier in the book of John where Jesus heals this blind man 
And the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they, they keep kind of grilling this blind man because they were pretty upset with Jesus at this point, and they're trying to trap him and all this stuff. And so they're grilling the blind man. They're like, who did this? Who's the man who healed you? And where did he come from? And what do you know about him? And is he really righteous, or is he secretly a sinner? And the blind man's like, I don't know. All I know is this man healed me, and now I can see. Uh, A little earlier in the Gospel of John, you've got a similar scenario where this this man whose legs don't work, he's healed uh, at this pool, and it's this whole scene, right? And he's healed, and the Pharisees are grilling him, and they're like, who did this? And the the guy is walking around with his mat, and it's the Sabbath, and you're not supposed to do that, but he's doing it. And they're like, who told you you could do this? Who told you you could walk around with your mat? He's like, I don't know. The man just said to me, take up your mat and walk, and for the first time I was able to walk. I don't know. They're just being witnesses, right? These are previews we get in the Gospel of John of the role that Jesus gives to all believers when we come to John 15 and where he's saying, I want you to be my witnesses. You are just to say what you have seen and heard. That's it. That's it. Right? And granted, some in the body, they are going to be called to other roles. And there are preachers and evangelists and there's pastors and there's people who study apologetics and theologians who work out answers to complex problems. And, and maybe you are one of those. But the vast majority of us are not. The vast majority of us, our role is just to be a witness. What have you seen? What have you heard? That's how we participate in this aspect of the work of God. Now, still with me? Okay, holding all that in mind, let's go back to the text. I want to tease out a couple of nuances here that I think are really helpful for us. So the first of those is this. The first is we don't bear witness by ourselves. We don't bear witness by ourselves. Back to verse 26. Jesus says, But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth, He will come to you from the Father, and he will testify. He will be a witness all about me. So first here, Jesus assures the disciples that they are not alone in testifying about who Jesus is. Right? Unlike my scenario, the other witnesses have not skipped town. Right? It's not all on you and I as a witness. And specifically and powerfully... The Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, is the one who testifies alongside us, along with us. The spirit of truth, this is the one whose words bear divine power to reveal what is real, what is true. There is a power in that that you and I cannot match and are not expected to match, but can take great comfort in. The fact that you and I never, ever speak alone. The Spirit is always speaking. In fact, it would be entirely accurate to say that God's Spirit got there before we did. I don't know that God ever sends us to speak to someone about who he is where he has not already been working in the heart of that person. This, incidentally, is why prayer is so important, so critical to the work of evangelism. And we're going to circle back to that Uh, in a more in-depth way next week. But this is so important that the Spirit is the one who speaks. Uh, 
uh, a person coming to faith is always a gift from God. It's always a spirit-driven process. And though God uses our testimony, our witness in the process, it's never ultimately our words that do it or don't do it. It's the spirit of truth that's always alongside us. Jesus, uh, again in the Gospel of John, he puts it this way. He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them Friends, so important to remember, right? As we think about our role in this, it, yes, there's a role for us to play, but it's not all about you. It's not all about me. Ultimately, it is the work of God himself drawing people to himself. And we have the privilege of being part of that process. Uh, it takes our testimony and uh, it gets fortified by the work of the Holy Spirit too. Uh, this, is, this is just part of the mystery of, of how salvation comes into our lives. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he talks about this in his life, in his book, Surprised by Joy. Uh, he says he went through this long period where, where he's interacting with, with the truth of who Jesus is, and he's kind of trying to figure out, is this real, and what does this mean for me, and da-da-da, and he's slowly coming to a place of belief. And he says, in hindsight, I can tell that the hound of heaven was there the whole time, Chasing me down. He talks about the day when he put his faith in Christ. And he says, uh, he says that day I went on a, a long motorcycle ride with a friend. And he got into the sidecar. You've seen these, right? I don't think they even have these anymore. Sidecars for your motorcycle. They're terrifying. But <laughs> says he gets into the sidecar. And he says, all I know is I started this ride and I wasn't a Christian. And by the time the ride was over, I got out of the sidecar and I was. Something had shifted. And, uh, and that shift, you know, sometimes I, I see that here with folks who are traveling with us for a while and they're, they're sorting it out and they're figuring out and, uh, and sometimes I feel like I can, I can even see it. Like I see the shift happens and maybe that day the person will come forward for communion the first time or whatever and we, you know, we come back and that's the moment where a shift happens. Friends, it's always the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't testify alone. It's not all on you. The part that's on you is the part that's on you, telling what you've seen and heard. But we never testify alone. It's the Spirit who brings the power. That's one. Second is this. Our witness of Jesus comes from our experience with Jesus. Verse 27 You must also testify about me because you have been with me. You have been with me. Why must we be witnesses? Jesus says it's because you have something to say. It's because you're the ones who have been with me. Who else is going to tell? Who else is it going to be than one who has been with Jesus? Why is this? I'll try this on. At the end of the day, when we are talking about Jesus, we are not uh, relaying a set of facts. We are not relaying a set of propositions about who God is. We, at the end of the day, are introducing people to a person, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the one who took on flesh and blood and who dwelled among us, the one who went to a cross and died in our place 
on our behalf. The one who first loved us and who we are learning to love in return. We don't bear witness to a belief system. We don't bear witness to a religion. We bear witness to a person, to Jesus Christ. And just in in the same way that if we were talking about a friend and try to explain who that person is, you come at that from a place of experience. You talk about what it's like to be with that person, who they are. Uh, And our witness, friends, presupposes this, that we are with Jesus. If we're not, then we don't have much to contribute. Uh, Listen, we don't need to know the answer to every question. We don't need to have a clever sales pitch. In fact, I hope you don't. Uh, We don't need to make the Christian life seem super wonderful because sometimes it's really hard. We can be honest about that too. That is part of our witness. What it comes down to is just being able to tell people, this is who Jesus is in my life. This is what it's been like for me to know Jesus. This is why I love Jesus. That's how we bear witness. We just simply tell what we've seen and heard. Uh, We don't, uh, by the way, we also don't need to defend Christianity. Uh, And uh, I don't really suggest you try, although I guess if you really want to, you you can. But follow me on this. Uh, Again, we're talking about a person and our experience of that person. We're not talking about the ways that Christ followers have gotten it right and the ways that Christ followers have gotten it wrong. Uh, I, I used to always try to defend and, you know, give this reason and that, and I just stopped over time. And now, um, I, I don't know. I mean, here's one I, I hear commonly. So uh, people sometimes say to me, you know, I don't believe in Christianity because Christians are hypocrites. Right? My answer to that is, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are. And actually, I'm kind of in a position to know that. <laughs> um, and, I, and I tell them, you know, sometimes, sometimes I, I worry that I'm the worst. And people are like, what do you mean? So, well, I'm a pastor, right? I, on Sundays, I stand before people and I teach them the Bible and the way that we're supposed to live for following Jesus, and I don't always live up to that. There's ways where I'm still failing in that. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I'm critical. I'm sharp with my wife and kids. Sometimes I'm judgmental. I can be really selfish. I can get really prideful. Right? Sometimes I, I feel like I'm, I'm the biggest hypocrite of all. And it's funny, more times than once, I've, I've had folks like defending me and being like, hey, man, you're not that bad. <laughs> but that's, that, too, is part of my witness, right? And, and it's, this isn't me trying to be clever in conversation or something. This is just part of the honest witness. Yeah, the church is full of hypocrites. Sometimes I'm one of them. And that's... Tell people, that's the reason I'm in the church. That's the reason that I am following Jesus. I need his forgiveness in my life because I haven't made it yet. Right? This is, this is witness. Or, um, you know, you hear a lot, I, I could never be a Christian because of how badly the church has hurt LGBT people. You know, and I have, man, there's no way I'm defending that. My answer is you're 100% right. I think the church has a horrible, horrible track record 
with those who are gay. And I think it really grieves Jesus. And if, if you ever want to know, I'd love to talk to you about what our church is doing to try to love gay people the way that Jesus loves gay people. Right? But there's, there's no defending. Uh, if you want to, you can. But for me, I, I feel that's not the point. I want to talk about Jesus. I want to bear witness to Jesus. And, uh, and I, I don't need to defend the church. My, my posture in some ways, rather than defending, it's, it's more of saying, tell me about the Christianity that you are rejecting because there's a good chance I'm rejecting that one too. Uh, friends, to bear witness, all we need to do is to talk about the ways in which Jesus has been exceedingly good to us. That's it. We need to be with him. We need to be with him. And out of that, be able to talk about what it's like to be with him. One more here. Our witness is our lives, not just our words. It's our lives and not just our words. Again, Jesus says, you must testify about me because you have been with me. And biblically, being with Jesus, that language indicates that we are his disciples, that we are his apprentices. We are learning from him what it looks like to live our lives the way that Jesus would live our lives if he was the one who is living them. We are, in other words, in the process of becoming like him. Because of that, our witness is always our lives. It's always embodied. It's never just our words. Hear this, friends. Our words will have no power if they are not backed up by a life that is growing to look more and more like that of Jesus. Right? Not a perfect life. We're, we're not there. We won't be the sight of heaven. But a life that is growing to look more and more like Jesus. And again, there's only one way that this happens. It is by being with him. That's where the transformation happens. And everything Everything that has to do with our witness comes back to that, to being with him and us becoming like him. Uh, We're going to circle back to this one during Lent. So actually our our series for Lent is going to be all about developing a plan for each of us on what spiritual formation looks like. What is your plan for spiritual growth? What does it look like to be with Jesus and to become more like him? That's That's going to be mid-February through Easter. But for this morning, I want to just throw a couple verses up here that kind of illustrate this. This idea that your witness is always your life and not just your words. Uh, First one, John 13. Jesus speaking, he says, Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my Disciples. Right? This is so interesting to me. Jesus says, this is the thing that's going to prove that you belong to me. Not the strength of your arguments. Uh, not how well you formulated answers to difficult questions posed to the faith. The thing that is going to convince the world that you truly know me is how you love one another. Now that's a hard one. Because actually, it's a lot easier to read a book and come up with, t- with answers to hard questions than it is to love people that you don't really feel like loving. But we're not given that as an option. 
Jesus says, you want to prove to the world that I am real? Love each other. Love each other. Uh, That's, man, that is one reason why it is so important to be part of a church. And I'm... I'm so proud of all of you. I mean, we are in a time when those, there are so many of those who claim the name of Christ but are leaving the church in droves. By staying, you are learning to love. This is God's laboratory where you learn to love other people well. And the more that we do that, the more that we reflect the reality of who Jesus is. It not only makes us stronger as Christians, but it proves to the world the reality of Jesus himself. Here's another one. This is 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Here what he says. He says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Uh, In other words, what he's saying here, he's saying, live in a way that honors God, right? And we're supposed to do that anyway, right? Live in a way that's obedient to the teachings of Jesus. But he says, as you do that, and as you abstain from living in the sinful way that the world around you does, there is something about that action that points people towards God. And that person may end up glorifying God along with you at the last day, right? Your life is your witness, not just your words. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He says, one's mind has a tendency to follow the sunbeam back up to the sun. If your life looks like Jesus, people are going to start asking, where is that coming from? And they follow the sunbeam, right? Uh, This is a tough one for us, too. Uh, I think maybe if, if we're thinking about it all, we tend to think about uh, whether or not we are giving in to sin is kind of a personal thing between us and God. And of course it is, but it's also directly tied to how much we will be able to be used by God in this world that he loves. And it's worth asking yourself, how much do I want that? Do I want to be the sort of Christian who just sort of checks a box that, yeah, I believe in Christ? Or do I want to be part of the adventure of living into what God is doing in the world that he loves. If it's the latter, this is essential. This is essential. Our life has to look more and more like Jesus if we're going to be his witnesses in the world. One more. This is my favorite one. This is is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, Book of Acts, Peter and John, they're on trial Right? They've healed this man in Jesus' name and all this uproar has happened as a result of it. And they're saying, don't do this anymore. Stop talking about Jesus. And they're like, ah, we can't really do that. Da-da-da. Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John <clears throat> and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Man, I want that. I would love, at the end of my life, for people to be able to say, that was the guy that was with Jesus. What about you? 
There's something, friends, that happens in us as we're with him. We are changed. We are made different. And our witness in the world is going to be dependent on us leaning into that work that Jesus would do in us. And friends, that is our task. That is our task. To be transformed in the presence of Jesus and to witness, to bear witness to who he is, what we've seen, uh, what we've experienced in him. Let's pray together.